example, when the prophets came in the mornings about the impending exile, then they prophesied at the same time of Israel's future deliverance from their enemies. If as Christians were only to concentrate on our sins, on our misery, then we would feel hopeless and we would never find a way out of our miserable existence. Then we would end up in the camp of Cain, who after the Lord God confronted him with the horrible murder of his brother Abel, said, as it says in Genesis 4, verse 13, my punishment is more than I can bear. Cain can't see a way out of his sins. You must not say as David did when he was confronted with his sins, that his sins are too great to bear. No, Cain says that his punishment is too great to bear. The same thing is true of Judas, who betrayed the Lord Jesus. He said in Matthew 27, verse 4, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. He doesn't see a way out either. In the end, Judas came to such despair that he committed suicide, even though salvation was near to him. But Judas and Cain cannot separate the guilt from the punishment they have committed. They are one and the same to them. But to those who believe, salvation is near to them. It is within that framework that we have to deal with our sin and misery. And so the theme for this afternoon's sermon is as follows. The Lord teaches us to know our sin and misery. And we'll look at two things. First, uh, the law as our teacher. And secondly, the Lord as our teacher. We are told in question and answer 3 that we know our sins and miseries from the law of God. The law is our teacher. Is that really true? Does the law of God teach us that? That's an important question to ask. For there are those in the Reformed world who say about us as mere Reformed people that we are not sufficiently aware of our sins and miseries. They think that we too easily skip over our sins and that we begin too quickly to speak of the joy of our salvation. The criticism is that as a result, we as reformed people so easily attempt to cut the celebration. Yet they wouldn't. Many of them do not go because they think we are not worthy enough because of their sins. And that's the way we should be as well, so they think. For it seems to them as if our sin and misery play only a minor role in our lives. Let's not too easily dismiss such criticism. Are you and I indeed sufficiently aware of our sins and miseries? For you see, if we are not, then our salvation has little or no meaning. If you do not know from what you have been delivered, then such a delivery is not a big deal, is it? And then you would diminish the work of Christ. We just read from Psalm 130. This psalm begins with the statement, Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. This is a typical expression found in Psalm 51 psalms. When you are in the depth, then you are low. You are deep down. You are surrounded by darkness. You find yourself in a sea of trouble. It is a vivid imagery expressive of universal 
In other words, everybody, whether believer or unbeliever, at one time or another, is miserable for whatever reason. So now the question is, why does the psalmist sing? Well, you see, as we will see in a moment, it is not about how we feel, but about what the deep state of affairs is. But why is the psalmist so down in the dumps? What kind of trouble is he in? Well, that's clear from the rest of the psalm. He cries out like that because he sees the horror of his sin. He feels himself to be such a miserable creature because of the many ways that he has broken the law. But why does the breaking of the law bother him so much? Well, it bothers him if he broke some minor rule. That's how we tend to think of the law of God. For some, it is like breaking a minor traffic law. You go 10 kilometers over the speed limit and you get caught. Gives you a ticket. Penalty is not a big deal. As far as you're concerned, it didn't really hurt anybody and no damage was done. However, what we are talking about here are the rules of our covenant relationship with God. When we sin that we do not just break some abstract or arbitrary rules, we cannot detach the law of God from the lawgiver that is easily done when it comes to human laws. Human laws can change all the time. Traffic laws. Of course, it's always wrong to break the laws of the land, including traffic laws, else society will fall apart. But we don't have an intimate relationship with the lawgiver of the land as if those enforce the law, makes judgments. So when we break God's law, then we break our relationship with God, which so deeply loves us. That's also what the psalmist thinks. Listen to what he says in verse 7. With the Lord is unfailing love. Unfailing love, that's covenantal language. It refers to the covenant. That refers to the fact that we have a relationship of love, which is what a covenant is, a relationship of love with the Almighty Creator who, when He created us, made us the most important creature of his creation. At that time, God established a covenant with us, and he put us in charge of everything that he had made. Yet, he broke God's trust in us. We pray this way. For that reason, man deserves to die. But God, in his mercy, in his great didn't do away with that. He continued to want to be in a covenant relationship with you and me. God continued to want man to rule with him and to enjoy together with him his wonderful creation. And so the psalmist, realizing what a wonderful God we have, stands in awe of that wonderful God. We have sinned. It is for that reason, brothers and sisters, that he cries out of the depths. 
sent so much. The Catechism, when we give the summary of the law, is found in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. What other commandment? We are to love him with all our heart. The heart is the center of our being. That's where my ambitions and my motives reside. We're also to love him with all our soul. When we speak about our soul, then we speak about that which makes man alive. We speak about that which makes him tick. We speak about our affections and our emotions. Well, that soul, that life that is within you must be set aflame with a desire to serve God. And we must love him with all our minds, with all our thinking. Our thinking takes place in our minds. And so our thinking must always be completely directed towards God. We have to keep our minds pure and allow our thinking to be totally permeated with God's will and with his word. That's why we recite, isn't it, brothers and sisters? able to love God in that sense, who is able to have that kind of relationship with him, we can. And because we can, we have broken our relationship with God. As the psalmist said, who can stand before him? We have no right to have fellowship with him. We have done everything wrong and nothing right. It is enough to drive you to despair. Has the knowledge of your sins to that extent ever brought you down into the depths like that? When young people express their desire to make public confession of their faith so that they can become full members of the church, then I will ask them why they want to do that. Often they will say that they feel that they are ready, that they have learned lots over the years of catechism, class, and that the Lord has led them to that point in their life. They feel that they can make that really their own. They feel that they love their faith. And it's always wonderful when these young people get to hear that kind of confession. But that should never be the first reason why anyone would want to publicly confess his or her faith. It should be done because of the awareness that they have of their sins and misery. Typically, when you are young, when you do not have such a deep awareness of your sins, I did when I were, when I was young, and I still don't have enough awareness of it. It is a lifelong learning process, and so I understand but some people never come to that point in their life. However, if already in your youth there is that great desire within you to serve the Lord, to please Him in every way for all that He has done, then when you realize that you have fallen far short of it, then you will remember those words that tell us in Psalm 130, I beg Him, as the psalmist does, for the forgiveness of sins. He says in Romans 3, verse 20, Keep the law 
Testaments. Old Testament was in the New Testament context. It's not really here about what happened in paradise. No, he's speaking about how today already, today in our very lives, we are convicted by the law of God. Romans 3 verse 11, he says, us right in front of the law of God 
that themselves in Matthew Bible study, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God requires nothing less from us than perfection. We may think that we are able to keep the law, but nothing is farther from the truth. We fool ourselves if we do nothing in our own strength. At one time, a young rich ruler came to the Lord Jesus and told him that he kept the law of God. And he asked the Lord Jesus what he could do further. The Lord Jesus says to him that he has to sell everything that he had and then follow him. This young man thought that he knew how to keep the law. But in reality, he didn't have a clue. Keep the law means that you are willing to put everything you have at the disposal of God. That's what Christ teaches us concerning the law. We see the word law enough. He holds the law up for us like a mirror. And we have to look into that law and see ourselves. Christ makes us see ourselves for what we are, miserable sinners. The Lord makes us see ourselves like that so that grace may abound and not works. Christ teaches us by first showing us his grace. He leads us by the hand. teaches us through the law. It is only when we have the comfort of knowing that we belong to the Lord Jesus that we can learn about our sin and misery. That is why the comfort comes first. And we have to know about our misery if we want to truly appreciate our salvation. You see, as I said earlier, our misery is not a feeling. Is a state of misery. If it were only a feeling, then no one would have to feel sorry. And then the world would also know what it means to be truly miserable. As it is, it doesn't know. Let me show you what I mean. Listen to the question that the Pharisees asked. From where do you know the way? From where do you know? In other words, it is not something that you automatically feel. You know what it is to feel miserable when you have a bad cold or when you are in a stressful or annoying situation. But the catechism doesn't say anything about feeling misery. It asks about our miserable condition. Well, if we feel it or not. Actually, the catechism assumes that we of ourselves know nothing about our misery, and that it is something we have to learn. We have to learn it from the law of God, and it is Christ who first shows us his grace and comfort, who teaches us about the law. Nobody has to tell you when you have a certain headache. Nobody needs to tell you when you feel miserably guilty and afraid, when you have done something wrong, and you are scared that you're going to be found out. do need to be told 
the question is whether or not this it is something you have to be told once again the wonderful thing is that if you recite the Torah it tells you that the summary of the law will describe the rules of the relationship between God and us which again is a relationship of love and the deeper the relationship with the Lord your God the more you become aware of your own inadequacy and the more you become aware of God's grace and love and great mercy and that is what Christ wants from each every one of us he wants us to see ourselves for ourselves that we are sinners who desire of redemption and therefore don't be afraid when your sins are pointed out to you as a matter of fact welcome them God does not point your sin out to you or your miserable state in order to drive you away from him quite the contrary but he does that in order to drive you to him so you can be delivered from your miserable state and that is why it is so necessary for us to know what sinful creatures we are. The comfort shines through as we are confronted with our sins. That theme continues to play its recurrent and beautiful theme. Christ teaches us to know our sins. And today he uses his word and spirit to convict us of our sins. The office bearers of the church, the elders, the minister who come to you with God's word. He uses this pulpit in order to create an awareness of your sin so that you will know God and so that you will seek Him. He creates that desire within you. And then the theme of that comfort that you belong will continue to weave its way story of your life as you are driven to know your sin and misery God will invite you to be brought in body and soul to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ do you see brothers and sisters how beautiful the law of God is the law convicts you of your sin and then drives you to Christ with him is restored you go to him and that is where as we will also see as we deal with the following Lord's Day where the catechism is bringing us it is bringing us in the second part of the catechism dealing with our deliverance in Christ that we boast in him we don't boast in ourselves saved us from our sins 